privilege of introducing Eddie Bucker. He's ministered here before. Uh, I thank God for our partnership and our growing friendship. I was with him earlier on with Craig McAlpine. We did an ordination, visited some of the doors that are open. Eddie uh, is on the translocal team that we partner with, and God has anointed this man not only to pioneer, but for me to kind of keep things together in that uh, kind of Germany, Holland area. So please come up. We're going to pray for you. Thank you, Eddie. Eddie is married to Taya. She's at home. And uh, they're an amazing couple together. Um, and three children, all married, with two, two grandchildren and one, and one coming. Yeah, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this man. Thank you for the family. Thank you for the local church he comes from. Lord, a church full of your life. And we, every time we hear him, we're inspired, our faith grows, and our courage grows. And we just pray now that you'd anoint him, uh, open, help us open our hearts so that we can receive what you have for us, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, Marcus. Good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to be here. I was last year with my wife and with my, um, my son-in-law and my daughter. They then preached at one of the sites. Uh, in February we were here, uh, um, but just, I was just so reminded this morning as we sang this song, Great is Your Faithfulness. Uh, for me this year, is, uh, there's many jubilees that I'm thinking of. I, 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 um, I had a round birthday, I won't say which one, I don't want to fe- make Marcus feel old, uh, but, uh, uh, <laughs> and a couple of months, <laughs> and uh, um, on, on Thursday was uh, my 33rd wedding anniversary, uh, for which my wife will get a great medal in heaven. Um, but in, when I go back, uh, in a month's time, we've, we uh, will um, be thankful for, of course, we'll, as a church, uh, 25 years ago, Jim Lamont from this church ordained uh, me and Thea and another couple when we planted the church in Norton, Germany. And you know, we sang, great is your faithfulness all the time you've been there. You know, I left South Africa many, many moons back. It's now th- uh, 34 years already. And, and if I think, you know, I went with just those words, go to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I'll be with you. You know, we serve a great God. We serve a great God. We serve a God that has prepared so much for us. But I fear, I fear that, myself included, but many of us fail to take in possession that which God has given us. And, and, And it's not that we must do this and must do that. But it sometimes it really is a question as well, how serious are we about the kingdom of heaven and the, and the things of God? You know, I noticed, uh, did, you, did you notice in the last week and week before that, there were a couple of accountants that had given up their career to, 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 to go work full time for God. Did you notice that? Now, I, I have the privilege or whatever, like I shared before, that I was qualified as a chartered accountant when I was 23. And I, and I actually thought yesterday I was talking to someone and it just came to my, and I, and I was just so thankful to God. 
And I said to this guy, he's a very, very uh, um, rich businessman. I said to him, man, I think I'm actually a good accountant, eh? Because I'm putting in my life for the assets that I'm going to get there. I'm not like these guys that give their lives for everything that they can't take with. That's not very clever. So he looked at me, he looked at me, and he looked again. <laughs> and I just thought, how often do we just do that? We give our lives, we give our strength for all those things that we cannot take with. You know, and I think, so, so my question this morning, and as, I, I just want to say a prayer as we start is, being serious about God and His kingdom. Heavenly Father, here we are. We've heard wonderful testimonies. We've had a great week, Lord. We've been inspired. But here we are because on Sunday, Lord, our goal is to meet you. Our goal is for you to shine your light in our hearts. Our goal is to look up to you. Our goal is, as we during the worship said, to command our souls, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Submit to his kingship, to his rulership. Open your heart before him. Listen, hear my soul. And Lord, I, I ask that you speak with us as we open your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I pose this question or this thought of being serious about God, in this two weeks that I've been here, my daughter sent her in the family WhatsApp, she sent a conversation, a small conversation that, that they had with their three-year-old, our little grand, one of our, our little granddaughters. They were getting dressed, it's getting cold now in, in Germany, to go, to, to go and do shopping. So her dad, Rene, was here, uh, he puts on a jacket. So Mila, three years old, says to him, says to him, are you seriously putting on that coat? You know? He says, yes. She says, seriously? <laughs> now, you know, now, it's ridiculous, of course, a three-year-old, you know? But I mean, and I just thought about it because how serious, why would you guys listen to me this morning? Who am I? I'm no different comparing the, the things of God to little Mila, perhaps, eh, like a child. But you know, there was a story in the Bible, and I'm going to read it from um, 2 Kings 5, verse 1 to 3. It says there, now Naaman, captain of the army and uh, of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected. Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, now just imagine this. Hey? This little girl was taken in war, captive. She might have been 13, 14 years old. Slave girl now. 
in a foreign country, daughter of the enemy, and there's this general, and it's not as a general, I mean, this guy had victories. This, this, he was a national hero. And this girl says, how oh, I wish that he would, would have been in Israel with a prophet that could pray for him that he could be healed. Now, you could ask yourself, in, that, in, a, in a normal situation, why did this general, this hero, why did he listen to this insignificant little girl? Now, I think, I believe it is because he knew he was sick. He knew he was dying. He realized his need. So, brethren and friends, perhaps if we realize our need this morning, our need, you know, when, when the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and, and his righteousness, and all the rest shall be added unto you. Perhaps you would listen to me this morning. As insignificant as human being in that sense that I, that I am. If we realize, you know, I, I'm just struck by it because I, I thought, how often have I quoted even this, this verse? Seek ye first the kingdom. And I was stirred too by when Tyron shared that uh, at the equip, you know, about the kingdom. I was stirred again. I think, how often do we decide? How do we really, really seek? Like, like little Miller says, seriously? <laughs> do we seriously seek the kingdom of heaven first? Or how much are we just trying to add all these things and hope that somehow the kingdom will be added onto it? Now, even people in the world are giving their lives for something. They're going for it. They want to be rich. They want to be successful. They want to they achieve something. They want to be highly qualified. They want to acquire some skills and hope that that would make their lives happy and, and, and just joyful and peaceful and, you know, like I'm the man or I'm the woman. And it was a young man in Jesus' time. It's a, it's a well-known story. But I'm going to read it. He was also, I mean, this, he was successful, but he was seeking. He somehow sensed that he hadn't found, found what he was looking for. And it's, it's, it's of the rich young man in, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. It says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and, and, uh, and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess. And give to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Now, now. Just imagine this guy. 
successful, rich. <coughs> Excuse me. But yet, feeling, sensing, something is still missing. And you know, I, I, I believe, that obviously he, he wasn't saved yet. And, but sometimes even in being saved and trying to find the purpose of your life, trying to find that for which you are here for on this planet, because there's no one else like you. No one else with your identity, your gifting, your, no one. But trying to find that and trying to find, is my life, is, is what, that what I am doing, does that have eternal value? You know, and you can try your best. You can try your best even in church and do this and still have this lack and longing and saying, I don't know. Now, this was his, this, he was desperate. He was desperate because, I mean, he, ran, he runs up to Jesus. He falls on his knees. What? What must I do? What must I do? So in a sense, you can say he's getting serious. He's getting serious. He tried real hard, you know. And, and, and you could see it in his answers. He, tr he really tried hard. Now, Jesus says to him, he says, why do you call me good? Because no one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus didn't say with that that Jesus isn't God. Because Jesus is God who became flesh. But Jesus was saying to this young man, you see me as a good human being. He said to him, good teacher. He said, and he just immediately kept the mirror up. He said, there's no one who's good. As a human being, there's no one. You don't see me as God. So as a human being, just know that. You see, including yourself, and I, I think I've told that story that, yeah, of someone, a guy in, 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 in um, I got friends with in Germany, and, and, uh, 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 and a plumber who said to me, he said, Eddie, oh, but I'm a good man, I give this, and I said, to, uh, I give to the poor, I do this, and I try, and I said to him, Jan Eiko, I so, I so dearly want to say to you that you're good, but the Bible says there's no one, and then he looked at me, and he says, but then you also aren't good. And I said to him, Jan Eiko, you're right. I said, well, you know what the difference is between me and you? Is I know it. <laughs> That's the difference. You see, so Jesus shows him. And immediately the law, Jesus puts up the law like a mirror. And he mentions various commandments from the law. And probably thinks that Jesus, being led by the Spirit and word of knowledge, all the, knowing things that he had, might have had problems with in his life. But he wasn't open to it. He said, I've tried. So he, he really has tried his best. And maybe this morning you sit here and you said, I have tried. I'm trying so hard. But yet that inner peace, that, that, that knowing this is for eternal life, it does not come. It does not come. Now, then Jesus says something quite hard. Jesus says, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven. How hard. You know, and, and we see, you see on the news, you see all the refugees from Africa, from Afghanistan, from now from the Ukraine, all fleeing to Europe. Because this, in Europe, they think, ah, oh, you can have a much better life. I mean, I, I spent, two months ago, I was in Uganda on an on, on a, on a outreach that we had there. And there were like 300 people or so sitting there. And I just looked at them. And I, and I said, you know, 
if I would ask you, if I could just take you like this and put you in Europe, parts like that, would you rejoice at that? Now, I can understand because many of those people live in villages or houses where they don't have proper toilets even. So immediately they'll have toilets and, and various other things. But I said, what if it means that it will take you and definitely maybe your children away from God? That they will have much less chance of being saved. Would you still want to go? You see, well, that's the problem with being rich. You think you can buy it. You think you can do it. And not just rich in possession, also rich in, 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 in possibilities and in other things that I rely upon. You know, and, and, and this, this young man, and now if I just ask, you know, who of you here today think that you are rich? Ooh, not many. Okay. Now, let me just give you one stat statistic. Do you know that 80% of people in the world live on less than 170 rand per day? 80%. Do you know that 26 live than less on less than 50 rand a day? Now let me again ask, who thinks or knows they are rich? I think my kids get more pocket money. Or used to, now they must look after themselves. <laughs> you know, Jesus looked at this young man. He said, because that's the problem. When the, you rely on all these other things, you think... You forget on whom you should really rely and that you should really not be seeking all these things, but just the kingdom. Jesus looks at this man and, and he says to him, one thing you lack. Jesus didn't say to him, look, I can, I can point you many things that you've done wrong in your life. Of course, I'm sure Jesus could have done that. But he said, just one thing you lack. And, and God, following God is actually not very complicated. And God doesn't intend it to be complicated for us. Jesus gets right to the point. Now, I would like to ask you this morning, what is the one thing that you might be lacking? What is the one thing that, that is demotivating you? What is the one thing that, that, that maybe hardens your heart? What is the one thing that you just can't let go of? What is that one thing what is that one thing that's maybe like a burden on you? That it's just, you don't, it's like you've got to pull it and it's, you know, uh, last February when, or February when I was here, we spoke about Joseph and the thing that his brothers did to him. You know, and and we, we saw in the, in the scriptures how his brothers, I mean, 20 years later when they met him, they were still, they were so burdened by this terrible, terrible thing that they've done. That whatever happened, they thought, oh man, it's because we did this, because we did this. And they had great, great difficulty to accept forgiveness. Even after 37 years, when, when, they, when they, their father passed away, they still couldn't believe that Joseph would really forgive them. You know now, but there's, a, there's another uh, uh, um, story in scripture which also illustrates how to go about with this thing it says in first Kings 17 and from verse 17 it's the story of elijah in the time when he called the drought god threw him called the drought uh, uh, over all the earth uh, and for three and a half years it didn't rain and what happened but this widow was there and he said her uh, uh, 
flour and her oil would not fail. So she had miraculous provision. And he was staying in, in her house with, with, with her family. And then what happened in 1 Kings 17 verse 17, it says, Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my iniquity to remembrance and put my son to death? To death. Now, isn't this amazing? I mean, this woman is living in miraculous, under miraculous provision. Everybody around in the world is suffering, and she's experiencing God's provision through the oil and the flour. And wow, nothing to worry about. The man of God was right there. And then this thing struck, sickness and death. And you know, the, the thing that comes to her mind immediately, immediately, have you come to remind me of my iniquity? Have you come to remind me of my mistakes? Have you come to remind me of my, of my, of my marriage that always went on the rocks? Have you come to remind me of, of, of the efforts I've made for and that have come to nothing? Have you come to remind me of my sin, of my faults? She immediately was sure that that happened now, and, and the reason for it was mistakes in her life and her, in her past. She was convinced. Does that happen to you? That you think, I'm not getting a God is choosing her instead of me. She's barely are, and I'm not just, you know, ah, because probably because I did this and that. I'm carrying this thing that I just can't let go. Think, why? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I make that decision? Those decisions or this, this specific decision? You know, it's amazing how one thing, just one thing, can affect our lives. It's, it's usually, it's, it's actually most of the time, it's not very complicated. You know, and, and the problem is, as long as we get stuck through this one thing, we are no longer fit for the kingdom of God. You can be a child of God, but God cannot use you. Because in that, in that parable or that thing where he says, Luke 9 verse 26, it says, Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Because what you'll do, you look back and you'll go like this. And you'll make more damage. You're stuck to the past. You're stuck to the past. You know, and, and, and it, can be, it can be even, well, I used to be good at that. And I got recognition while I was doing that. And I'm just living in the past. I want to tell people the stories from the past. It can be successes as well. This rich young man was relying. He was relying on good that he'd done. I'd done so much good. I tried my best. I'm a good man, but I don't have peace. I just sense I'm, something is going lost. This is not going to be for eternal value. This one thing, this one thing. Thank God doesn't want you and me to be stuck. He doesn't, and he doesn't say, go figure it out. What does he do? 
What does he do? You know, because you see the problem is with this, with this whole thought pattern. The thought pattern, the devil tries to think, say to you, ah, yeah, you know, you've done your best, but now you've made too many mistakes. Or this mistake that you made, there where you were not good enough, you know. Ah, yeah, ah, it's a pity it happened. You tried your best, but. He's not saying you are too bad or you're too failures. Actually, he's saying what Jesus did on the cross was not good enough for your failure. And that is a huge lie. He's trying to run down Jesus, not you. And our faith in, in him. So, so you see, as long as I live with that, and I think, oh, that thing hasn't been atoned for. That thing hasn't been, I try to work. I try to, try to be, I become a slave, trying to work off my debt. And not relying on Jesus. And if I try to work from my successes, from my richdom, from my talent, I'm like that rich young man. That's what I rely on. I am not relying on Jesus. And I don't get faith. I don't get the breakthroughs. And, if I don't, and then I start getting bitter because I see others might. But you see, you come to the point, you say, okay, okay, okay. You know, it's like that, it's like that, that, that the, the weather was said to, the, to Elijah, what do I have to do with you? Do you just want to remind me of my mistakes? <laughs> so you don't want to go to church anymore. You don't want to go to connect or home group anymore. Because you just, every time, you just feel like you get reminded of that you're not good enough. You get reminded of, of oh man, I'm messed up there. Or, okay, well, I'm, I'm others maybe, but not me. You know that feeling that can come. What must I do? What must I then do? What must I do, Jesus, the rich young man said? You know, maybe you, yeah, you say, Lord, I've tried so long. I can't even identify it. But I had hopes. I had plans. I had, I had dreams. I had plans, but they did. And I'm even scared to come to you again with that. You know what Elijah said? Now, he was the man of God. But look, look what he said. He said in 1 Kings 17, verse 19, he said to her, Give me your son. Give me your son. Then he took him from a bosom and carried him to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought calamity on the widow with whom I'm staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray you, let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him, and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now the first thing Elijah said, he said, bring him to me. You know, I think we must not be scared to say to people, come, 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 come to me, come to me, come with me, to me with your problem. And it wasn't like Elijah knew what he had to do or that he had the answer. I mean, even he said to the Lord, he said, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? What's happening? Are you bringing calamity? What's happening, Lord? You see, he's not saying, I'm going to solve your problem. 
He said, but bring it, bring your problem. I know the one we need to go to. I know the one who we need to ask. I know the one who can help you. I know the one who has conquered death, who can bring back to life. I know the one who can take your dead dreams and your mistakes and by his blood and by his offering, turn them into new life. I know him. I know him. And it said, and God listened to his voice. God listens to our voices when we pray, you know. This morning, I wept and I prayed for acquaintances that I know that, that need the Lord bitterly. I can't help them. I know God can. And I thought of George Whitfield who said, my eyes will be like a fountain. He took the scripture from Jeremiah and said, until you get saved. Because it's not like there's no salvation. It's not like that one thing in your life God doesn't have a solution for. Even if it's dead. Even if it's dead. But are you serious about the kingdom of God? About God and his kingdom? Or are you trying to live your life trying to fill up all these other added things? Which he says, I'll do that for you. You just seek the kingdom first. You seek what I want. You bring it to me. Bring it to me. You know, Paul says, I've just got one thing, Paul says. says, Philippians 3 verse 13 and 14. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do. I'm forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call in God. I forget what is behind me. Successes, failures, sins. Because I've brought them to Jesus. How about your one thing? And then he says, then Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, he says, the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The love of Christ controls us. You know, it seems to me that God it's also motivated by one thing. For God so loved the world that he gave up his only son. Now, I know it's a general, we know that. Most well-known scripture in the Bible. But we see it all through the Bible, the parable hey, of the sheep, of the coin, of the son. Once, and he goes after him, that one. And you know, in the rich young man, Jesus heard everything he said. Jesus looked at him. Jesus saw how terribly uninformed, how, how deceived in a sense he was. How he was looking in the wrong place. How actually self-righteous. And I've done all that from my youth up. I'm not a bad man. And it said, we read it in Mark 10 verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
You know how Jesus looks at you this morning? He loves you, man. He's not here to condemn you. He's not here to bring your past failures to remembrance. Yes, maybe, but not to condemn you, for you to bring it to him. For you to say, Jesus, I don't want any one thing to hinder me from living for you, from finding your kingdom, your righteousness for my life. And all the rest you will add. Because you love me. Because you love me. Maybe the worship team can come up. But I want to ask you this day, just between you and God, won't you like David so beautifully helped us with what was on, in his heart? Speak to your own soul this morning. Say, my soul, my, my, my will, my thoughts, my emotions. Isn't it time to surrender fully? Isn't it time not to rely on past successes? Isn't it time not to hang on to any bitterness? Isn't it time not to, not to moan and groan and be, and, and, and be sad about what is in the past, but to bring it all to Him who is able to raise the dead and bring them back to life? Isn't it, isn't it time for that? Isn't it time to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. I want to be counted. You know, the whole world, the whole universe is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. And these are those that are not led by good plans, by good ideas, not led by emotions, not led by their own thoughts, not by, led by a strong will. These are those who have surrendered the leading in their lives away from themselves, have put their trust on God and said, I want to be led by your spirit. And you know, it's you God is looking for this morning. It's you. Let's just go to him. Lord, we acknowledge that you are here. We acknowledge, Lord, that you're the only one who knows everything from our hearts, all the thoughts, all the motives. You're the one who should be enthroned in our hearts, Lord. And I want to say so quickly, Lord, do I, do we trust in other things? Are we rich in other things except from just simply the one thing of come to me, sell all that you have, forget all else and follow me and you'll have a treasure in heaven. God, how dearly you want to give eternal value to our lives and to all that we do. So dearly that you came and you died on the cross for us. You are worthy, oh God. You are worthy of all honor. And everyone, as we sit here today, Lord, I thank you that you want to help us all to just let go, to give you that one thing that is standing between you and, and, and us. And even if it was dead, 
hopes. Like this widow's son, you give new life. You, do, you don't make the old better. You give totally new life. And so I pray for your spirit, Lord God, that you release a breath of fresh air, of hope, of encouragement, of faith into every heart, saying, I will live with Jesus. I will follow Jesus. Because, and I will only care about that, my relation, and he will look for all things he will add to my life. Here I am, you and you alone, Jesus are the King of kings and Lord of lords.